Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier. And yes, it's Tuesday morning, so the great cousin Sal is here. Sal, how's it going, man? Uh, it's great. I'm feeling great. I hit a same-game parlay last night. Nice. We can talk about that. We'll talk about whatever you want. Well, let's talk about your cousin. He was on the Manning cast, uh, you know, cousin Jimmy Kimmel, obviously, and he went on there and he was ribbing the Manning brothers a little bit, but he also showed a photo of you from back in the day. Uh, when you watch football with Tom Cruise, what was that like? Was it like watching football with an alien? Can you give us a little backstory here? It really was. It was the end of the day and he kind of just showed up. I guess Jimmy gave him like a uh, like a vague. Uh, yeah, come by any time thing. Here's my address. And he came by like at 430 on the West Coast, which is when all the, you know, the earlier games are ending all the games before the night game. And so we were on our way out and we were about to tell Tom to turn around. But he had a coconut cake and his mother with him. No. So we're like, all right, come on in if you have a coconut cake with your mother. And it was great. It was a terrific experience yeah i love uh i love those stories and i love when uh, tom cruise takes you up on an offer like that so uh we love the hospitality from cousin jimmy right there also he asked the manning brothers right which one loved each other the, the most uh so that's always a good question for the brothers i love that one that was great yeah yeah peyton accused eli of loving him more which but you know it is a good question tate who loves who more out of mm. you and your brother Gil? Oh, yeah. that's I, I think as the younger brother, you're supposed to say you love him more. I do love that mm -hmm. he kind of took the brunt of my parents early on. You know what I mean? He kind of paved the path so I could do whatever I wanted to. So, I see. yeah, okay. I'll, I'll take that on the chin. I'll say I love him more. That'll make him happy right. if he's watching Oh, right that's now. sweet. Yeah. You know, we're going to clip this off and send it to him. Well, Where actually, I don't know if he loves me that much. He might not. <laughs> he just got out. He just got okay. out. So he's a good guy. <laughs> he might not be watching, though, because he, he doesn't love me that much. But we'll see about All that. Right. Let's talk about the game, though, Sal, because we we had a good game and we had some controversy. Let's start with the Raiders defense though, because they had one interception in four games that they played and tonight, or I'm sorry, last night uh, in Monday night football, they have three picks in this game against Jordan Love. What were your thoughts on the Raiders defense in this one, especially Max Crosby? He was excellent. You know, it makes me a little bit sad because uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know why I would be sad. I don't root for them, but I'm like, they could be competitive. They lose right. stupid games. And when the defense steps up like this, you're right. Three interceptions, two for Spillane. And, um, you know, it just looked like they could they could be in this every week. They could do this. You know, Peters uh, played off the ball a little bit too much, a little too more uh, for my liking. But in the end, what they give up, 13 points. Amik Robertson with the big interception at the end. I like this team. I think they could be somewhat balanced. But we're going to talk about Josh McDaniels who was uh, almost a disastrous decision at the end of that game. Yeah, let's talk about it because it was a fourth and one decision. They try to draw the Packers offsides, right? Jimmy G gets in there, tries to do a hard count right before the two-minute warning. Doesn't work, uh, obviously, because the Packers were keen on the fact that they were trying to do that. Instead of sending out, you know, Jimmy G and the rest of the offense and going for it, they say, you know what? We're going to kick a field goal, which gets us six points ahead just in time for Jordan Love to go down and drive and win the game. What, what were you thinking when when you saw that decision from McDaniels. Well, and then they missed the field goal. By the way, both kickers are brothers. That's that's not a joke. Uh, the Mannings weren't the only brothers. That's crazy. In that game. But yeah, so maybe they were nervous. Maybe Carlson, the Raiders Carlson was nervous. I don't know what was happening there. But yeah, you don't, first of all, you at least try to draw them off sides, which he did, except he did it with like 2.05 left and the clock running. Like, you know, at that point, they're not going to snap and mm -hmm. come back on the other side of the two minute warning and then try to draw them off. But ultimately, go for it. Put them away. I don't understand McDaniels. I don't understand a lot of these teams, you know, these, the, the, especially the Belichick tree. Belichick tree should be dug up. It's diseased. <laughs> it's poison. Take it out. Make some toothpicks out of it. I don't know what you can't want to do with it. But McDaniels, another bad decision. It was really weird. 
and uh, they got lucky in the end. Yeah, he's like the new version of Charlie Weiss from back in the day, right? He just keep finding these Ooh, Belichick guys one. that don't figure it out. But Josh McDaniels, even after the game, looked like he was smiling because he was so shocked at the fact that they actually won. Jimmy G is a beautiful man but plays an ugly game of football, but he figured <laughs> out how to win this game. So congratulations to the Raiders for that. Also, this was a big game for Devontae Adams, right? Only four catches for 45 yards, but he gets a little bit of redemption against his Packers team. How much do you think that factored into this game, if any at all? Well, I don't think it did because they really, what do you have, like one target through two and a half right. quarters? They only started to hit him. I think he only had like 12 yards uh, heading into halftime. And believe me, I had him on the same game parlay, adjusted yards over 40. All I needed was 40, and he got to 45 at the Raiders plus seven and a half and under 52. Nobody cares. But anyway, if I win the same game parlay, you'd be damn sure I'm going to brag about it. Uh, so Adams did get to 45. Key, key catches in the fourth quarter that set up uh, the winning touchdown. And so, yeah, it's got to feel good for him. I'm sure he, I don't know if you asked him, would you rather be on the Raiders or Packers at this point? I'm not sure what his answer would be, but it was good at least tonight. Uh, last I, yeah, I think his answer would be neither, right, at this point. But at least he got a <laughs> win. So uh, congratulations to Devontae Adams. Jacoby Myers was the real star in this game with the touchdown. Seven receptions was kind of the go-to guy for Jimmy G. Let's talk about the quarterback on the other side with the Packers. Jordan Love wins his first game. It felt like everyone was already celebrating and, and stomping on the grave of Aaron Rodgers and his time with the Packers. They found their new quarterback. They were in love with Love. Are they falling out of love right now? Because, you know, the Packers do not look like a team that's really um, who you would want them to be at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, they beat the Bears. They have some the sketchy wins, right? A two and three sounds about right. And listen, in today's NFL, you could throw two interceptions. The quarterback play has been bad. You could throw two. You can't throw three, mm -hmm. Nate, right? That puts you in a different echelon. And that's what Jordan Love did. And I don't know if it would be different with Aaron Rodgers. Probably still two and three with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. He, he, we saw him play four, four snaps, and that was it. So I don't know what version of Aaron Rodgers we were getting this year. Now. Brett Favre would be four and one with this team. Absolutely. Um, Bart Starr, probably five. And how far do you want to go back? We can go really back. I think back Bart really Starr was as far as that we could go uh, for, for our true. audience out there. But I like that. I like that. I like that forecasting of what it would be. I like the captain hindsight there. That's good stuff. Um, but yeah, in general, Jordan Love, I didn't think it was a bad decision on that throw. He was hoping for a pass interference there late in the game. So do you really begrudge him too much for going for it there? Is it, is it really that bad of a decision? No, it was actually a great play, but I don't know what the histrionics were about afterwards. I mean, it wasn't even really close to pass interference. It was a great adjustment by Robertson, and uh, he hauled it in. So, you know, that's the risk you're going to take for going for it. Yeah, and when you have a guy, a receiver who's six foot four, and he's going up against a corner who's five foot nine, a lot of times you say throw the ball up and let it play out. And if they do end up catching that ball, we're having a totally different conversation about the Raiders and the Packers in general. One last thing on this game, and one last thing on the Raiders. One of my favorite terms in the Bill Simmons vernacular is frisky. He loves saying teams are frisky. Ooh. Do we do we officially put the Raiders in frisky territory? Are they a team you don't want to see right now? You know, I was talking about it with him and others, and I just think a lot of these bottom dweller teams, and I think you have to include the Raiders in the bottom seven, but none of them are that bad that they're guaranteed to lay an egg every week. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Even the Bears, I don't know who you would count as the worst team. Panthers definitely have trouble scoring. We could get to it later, but uh, yeah, they're frisky, the Raiders. You know, we, we've seen them hang in the past with the, the Chiefs and the Chargers every year. And 
you know, game like tonight, they show up for it. Yeah, another thing that I noticed tonight was the home field was not really a home field advantage yeah. for the Raiders. We've seen it at SoFi with the Chargers and the Rams, and now we have the Raiders having Packers fans kind of infiltrate their arena and go crazy. And the crowd, you can never even tell who's reacting based on the crowd reaction, who actually was the, the team that was, um, you know, getting the better end of a certain play. What do we do with these home field disadvantages? How do we address this problem? It's very strange, right? Because the Raiders don't have a home field advantage, right? And then in Vegas, and then they come to LA, they play the, the uh, Chargers or the Rams, and it's all Raiders. <laughs> you, you don't, they have to come here to get the advantage that they're seeking at home. And then why is it like that? Why won't the black hole contingent travel to Vegas? It's a $49 Southwest flight, right? You stay at the Luxor. It's no big deal. There are millions of Raiders fans out there. It doesn't make any sense that there's mostly Packers fans on Monday Night Football rooting rooting against the home team. Very strange. Yeah, very strange indeed. And also, I mean, you could say the Excalibur. Or, or maybe they just moved the team back to L.A., right? I mean, that, that could be the answer for anyone. Um, so we'll see. What Why happens. are they afraid of Vegas? They pickpocket. <laughs> I was in the black hole. They try to pickpocket me. And they're afraid to go to Vegas Come on. of all places? Yeah. Come on, Raiders yeah. fans. You can do better. You can do better. All right, now let's have some fun. Let's track to the future right now. Um, because we got some good uh, bets and props and things to discuss. And let's start in the NFC North, which is uh, a very interesting division. Going into this game, the Lions were the favorites here at minus 230. Uh, the Packers uh, are probably going to move, you know, based on what we saw in this game. But is it a, a, a foregone conclusion now that the Packers are going to end up winning the NFC North? What a world that we live in, South. Should we just go ahead and accept the fact that the Lions are the best team in the division? The Lions are going to win them. Yeah, I think so. Barring injury, like I saw minus 230 heading into this week, and I was like, wow, that's low. I know, you know, there's a, a ton of games left, but they are very well balanced. They move the football. I mean, not a lot of teams can get up and down the field like the Lions do. And Jared Goff, I mean, look at them. They have fourth in the league in points scored at 148, right? They have Laporta on offense who's a breakout star. Gibbs was supposed to be a breakout star. He didn't even play. He hasn't even paid dividends yet. So who knows what's going to be? And then on defense, I feel like I'm seeing Hutchinson on every single play. Um, he's getting in there. So, yeah, the Lions are a, a force to be reckoned with. The second-tier team, you know, trending towards first tier, I would say, in the NFC, but certainly uh, lead the way in the NFC North. Absolutely. And then you have a team, the Niners, who most considered the best team in the NFC. They were taking plays from the Lions, right? There was a little copycat going on, and Dan Campbell was flattered by that reality. So the Lions are looking good right now in the NFC North, so we'll keep an eye on that one. Now let's flip to the AFC, and let's just look at the conference overall, not just the division. The Kansas City Chiefs are the favorites um, at plus 250. Do you think it's a, a sure thing right now to go ahead and believe in the Kansas City Chiefs despite Travis Kelsey, the injury kind of lingering? And Pat Mahomes has looked great, but he has looked as great as he has in the past but do we still believe the chiefs are the are the best in the afc well i i do for sure and let's just keep them at the top no matter what happens right for the next few weeks <laughs> honestly because uh they are the team to beat i don't even care if they're nine and seven heading into the last week because that's that's where they are you have to knock them off and you know i'm waiting for a team like the ravens to join them but they were just so bad against the steelers they blew such a winnable game and as far as i'm concerned it's the chiefs at top the Bills are number two and the Dolphins number three, even though the odds might uh, dictate that that's shifted or right on, you know, until the Dolphins beat the Bills this year, 
I think it's Chiefs and Bills at the top, and uh, I really don't want to hear otherwise. Are you going to say otherwise? Because I don't want to hear it. Well, well yeah, I, I won't say otherwise. I was going to say otherwise, but I promise I won't say otherwise now, even okay. though I do like the Ravens, and when they play in a game against the Steelers, I kind of wash it away as a rivalry game. You know what I mean? It doesn't count in my brain for whatever reason. So I'll leave mm-hmm. that there. We talked about the best in the AFC and one of the best in the NFC. Now let's talk about the worst. We got the worst regular season record. The Panthers, my beloved Carolina Panthers, are the favorites wow. right now at plus 280, and they look like they are the team to be the worst at the end of the day. But we got some other options. Uh, the Giants at plus 700. You got the Broncos at plus 900. Is there a team that you like and some value you like to have the worst regular season record? You know, our boss, uh, Bill Simmons, was trying to sell me on the Patriots at 10 to 1. Mm. I know the game. He's trying to be like, just so that I say, oh, no, no, they're not the worst. Just so <laughs> somebody could say they're not the worst. Right. But, you know, we, we know they're the worst. Yeah, but we, <laughs> we don't have to say it out loud. Um, but really, the the odds are, you know, I, I don't mind taking both the Panthers and the Cardinals. I'm not saying that anybody's tanking, but I've just seen the talent. and I've seen what they're putting on the field. And these teams take forever to drive the ball down the field. And once you throw an interception, once they turn it over, which they seem to two or three times a game, they're out of it for another half hour, 40 minutes. So I don't mind taking plus 280 for the Panthers and plus 390 for the Cardinals. I'd be surprised if it weren't one of those two. I feel like the Bears have enough mojo to get four wins under their belt which should be enough to stay out of the basement. Yeah, and congratulations to the Bears because, you know, two weeks ago, everybody kind of had them dead to rights. They were talking about, you know, they might end up having the first and the second pick with the Panthers, you know, looking so bad after the DJ Moore trade. So, in general, shout out to uh, to the Bears for figuring something out. I don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was getting Claypool out of that room, but that's a, a different conversation for a different day. Last track to the future I have for you, Sal. MVP, I find this fascinating. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes, the favorite at plus 350, but another guy that's moving up the board right now is Brock Purdy uh, with the San Francisco 49ers at plus 700. Is there some value in Purdy? And do you believe in the Purdy MVP hype at this point? You know, I think um, I love Purdy. I think he was great. I mean, was he 12 and one as a starter? If you count that game, he lost in Philly in the playoffs as a start and a loss. Uh, I guess you have to, but he is right on the money and you can't call him a system quarterback anymore because we've seen quarterbacks not working with that system. One of them is a backup for the Cowboys, maybe soon to be starting for the Cowboys. But um, the problem with liking Purdy is, and I think you like McCaffrey like yeah. a week ago, still a great pick, but they're going to split votes, right? You can't really say that one of them is the MVP out of the two. I feel the same about Tua. I feel like he's going to have great numbers, but you know, there's going to be a lot of big names that are contributing, right? Uh, Tyreek Hill. And Waddle and HN, forget it. The guy runs like 35 miles an hour. It's ridiculous. So at the end of the day, Mahomes, who I have at six to one before the season, and it's now, what is he, plus 350? Yep. I still think, I know it's boring, Kate, but I have the Chiefs and Mahomes at the top of those respected um, categories. Yeah, I think that's a, a very fair opinion on that. But I also think Brock Purdy, the ringer, has him rated as a, as a worse quarterback than uh, Mac Jones right now on their quarterback mm. ranking. So Brock Purdy is using the ringer to fuel himself to an MV, MVP <laughs> campaign. So uh, I'd watch out for well, Purdy well, in the Who end. was ranking? Who's, who with the ringer? I, I have I no understand. idea. I start asking questions about who ranks things, and then people get mad yeah. at me for asking questions. So I just I keep my hands off. I don't know. But okay. I think Brock Purdy, I, I think he needs this. I think he needs to add some fuel to the fire. Um, right now, everything's a little too smooth, right? So uh, Brock Purdy right. MVP right there on the verge. Um, we're going to be right back on the other side of this. We're going to do some over-under reactions with Sal, and then we're going to do some line look-aheads for week six.
the Ringer. I'm still here with Cousin Sal. And like you, like I said last week, we're about to play one of my favorite games. In fact, Sal, I told you it is my favorite game. We're gonna do I some- hate this game. <laughs> I never win at this game. You're getting uh-huh. mad. Keep it going. You're getting yeah. upset about this game. But we're going to have fun. Uh, Over-under reactions. And let's start with uh, the game that 27 million people watched on Sunday Night Football. And that was, uh-huh. of course, the 49ers taking on your Cowboys. We'll start with the good if you're a San Francisco fan. Here's my first statement for you, Sal. You tell me over or under reaction. The 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl. Oh, well, first of all, they said 27 million people. I watched with one hand over an eye, <laughs> almost over two. Does that count as a view? I don't know. I, how I think so. Nielsen I don't know how does. Nielsen does that, but maybe they take a, they dock another uh, uh, another viewer. Yeah, out. I don't know. We'll they're see. fudging their numbers if that's the case. <laughs> I think this is an underreaction. I mean, can you say underreaction because they're going to win the Super Bowl? You can't get any better than that. I picked the 49ers to eight four weeks ago to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. It's amazing with all the bad picks I've made so far that that one is still holding strong. And they just are very solid. You know, we saw what happened Sunday night. Great, maybe the greatest offensive threat in the game. And I think I'm talking about Christian McCaffrey. I might be talking about Brock Purdy. Who knows, here. Right? And yeah, and defensively, Warner, Bosa, Greenlaw, um, uh, Hargrove. It's just a blue chipper after blue chipper. They play at a different level. Definitely tops of the NFC, maybe in all of football. Yeah, and then Aaron Banks, right? It was a scary injury. They thought that could be something that was more serious. It comes out on Monday. Kyle Shanahan says it actually wasn't serious. So more good news for the 49ers. Now on the mm-hmm. flip side, we'll talk about the bad news. And I apologize because it's your Dallas Cowboys. Here's a statement for you, Sal. Dak Prescott is the problem in Dallas. And I think if you ask a lot of Cowboys fans right now, they would point the finger at Dak. How do you feel about that? Overreaction or underreaction? I think... Uh... Well, I think it's an overreaction, but it's trending towards the proper reaction and Mm. very, very soon to be an underreaction. You know, I look, I've tried to defend Dak as much as I can, but I feel like as far as the quarterbacks who have time to throw, and I can't believe I'm going to defend Daniel Jones over Dak Prescott, but these numbers are real. Cowboys have been sacked 10 times this year. Daniel Jones sacked 30 times. I feel like Dak has the time and he's not hitting these receivers who create separation. So, yes, in a sense, it is his fault. I don't think they would have won that game Sunday night anyway because, like I said, they're on a different level, the 49ers. But the more and more blame Dak gets, the more deserved I think it is. And you say they're on the same level, but after the game, Micah Parsons said that they are the same caliber (laughs) playoff team. Do you think he's correct in that? I mean, or is he just trying to kind of sugarcoat this situation? Oh, did Micah play in that game? I think he played. He, he, I don't know. Trent Williams watch? made sure he didn't do too much. So uh, Was he one of the 27 million viewers? Because I feel like he didn't watch that game. No, I, it's okay to say that a team is better than you after week five. We got a lot of adjusting to do. We have three months to do it. And maybe we could get to that level. And then so many injuries could happen between now and then. And I'm not going to hope. Hope for any, but you know, this uh, tends to level itself off. Yeah, I appreciate that response of the composure. Maybe the Cowboys fans could take a lesson from you right there, Sal. Let's keep it going here. Another statement for you. Nathaniel Hackett wasn't the problem in Denver. Is that an overreaction or an underreaction? Mm. Well, he wasn't the solution. Let's say that. <laughs> but I think it is an underreaction. I mean, you look at it, and I had a, as much fun at his expense as anybody. Nate Hackett, private eye. It wasn't working with Russ Wilson. But one thing they didn't have was this horrendous defense. I think they were a top seven, top eight defense last year, uh, Denver. Now they're dead last. Um, they allowed 450 yards per game. I don't know if you want to blame Sean Payton for that, but you can't really blame Russell Wilson at this point for being 32nd in the league defensively and not in any of these games, really. I mean, against the Jets at home, they can't win that. That's pathetic. So 
Uh, and I'm glad he got the game ball. I don't know if you saw that Robert Sala presented him with the game ball after the win uh, yesterday. You were crying, Tate. You could admit it. it yeah, I had emotional. a single tear. It was like no Sean Marino, right? It just streamed down my face. It was a great moment. And like you said, <laughs> Nat Hackett, it felt like the whole team was playing for him. All the comments that Sean Payton made in the offseason kind of got thrown back into his face. And then I saw this morning in the Denver Post, Sean Payton said it's hard to get out of bed in the morning because he's kind of weathering these losses. So a lot of conversations <laughs> about the Broncos right now and what that future looks like with that team. Russell Wilson with that late fumble. That was uh, not something you usually see from a veteran quarterback so we'll talk about the Broncos later when we do the line look ahead but for right now Nat Hackett the big winner this weekend next up South Cincinnati the Bengals will win the AFC North is that an overreaction or an underreaction oh man so when I was talking about this with Simmons Sunday night I saw five to one to win the AFC North I'm like wow get me that number Bengals are back Joe Barlow can plant his foot he could throw he found Jamar Chase he was open open. he was open after all this he was open, but now I look at the schedule and I'm like, you know what? Five to one seems right. Here's the next few weeks. Seattle, San Francisco, Buffalo, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. They already lost to the Browns and the Ravens. They have a ways to go. And probably, Tate, probably no one should be judged by their performance against the Cardinals, even though my Brody Cowboys couldn't have beaten the Cardinals, but maybe it's an overreaction that they're going to win the division. I think that's very fair. Next up, Sal, we got the NFL should play a game in Europe every week. They have another game in London. They're going to go to Germany. Do you like the Europe games? I know you got to get up early here on the West Coast. Yeah, I think they should play a game in in London or Europe every week, but I don't think it should be televised because I'm exhausted. (laughs) I keep waking up and watching this and it's uh, disgusting. I have to have money on it. I have to have fantasy players on there. Uh, It's a lot of fun. I actually think they should play two games in Europe every week. One Sunday morning, one Tuesday morning. Why not? Fill the calendar. Make it work worldwide. Let's do it. And, you know, I had commented that the Jaguars should actually stay there in London. And both Jaguars fans here in the States got mad at me on Twitter. Yes, there are only two. Yeah, they're they're very upset and they do not want to become the London Jaguars. But like you said, they've been playing there for a decade and they are London's team and they are a different team over the pond. So shout out to the Jaguars. Last one I got for you, Sal. Bill Belichick, the beloved Bill Belichick, won't be the head coach of the Patriots at the end of the season. Is that an overreaction or an underreaction? Oh, man. I think it's an overreaction. Me too. And believe me, I, I, I like having fun with it and saying that he's going to be gone. And but by the way, if they if they string together a few more thirty point losses, he's going to take off on his own. I don't think there's any situation where he's fired. They'll always make it like he stepped away. But I still think he makes it to the finish line this season. He's going to compete for that record, try to beat Shula. Although it's now going to take years, and I don't know that he can do it with this team. But uh, yeah, it's an absolute mess but I feel like he can make it through the rest of the fall. Yeah, and he had some issues with Shula back in the day, so he's probably going to hold out to break that record, like you said, so that's something to keep an eye on. All right, now it's time to hop and talk to our guy, the captain of the Riverboat Casino, because we're going to do some prop culture here, Sal, and the question this week is simple. Which Jones would you trust more to QB your team? I got the Mm. odds right here. We got Mac Jones, 3-1. to He's the favorite, which is shocking, but he is actually a professional quarterback. We got Daniel Jones, also a professional (laughs) quarterback, 5-1. to Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, 10 to 1. Indiana Jones, of course, Harrison Ford, uh, 45 to 1. And then the field is even odds. Who are you taking to uh, entrusting to quarterback your team? Oh, man, this is tough. I'd like to pass on Mac and Daniel just to see if there are (laughs) other options on there. Jerry Jones, I like it when he's in the press box, in the luxury box, whatever it is. He used to come on probably when you were very young, Tate. He'd be on the field, right? Yeah. And that was terrifying for a Cowboys fan. They'd (laughs) cut away to him. We'd be losing spectacular fashion. I don't want him on the field, let alone playing quarterback. 
Um, Indiana's great because he could use his whip to ward off mm. the uh, defenders, right? So that wouldn't be bad, although they could throw snakes at him and then he's freaked out, right? <laughs> uh, Leslie Jones is a good choice nice. in the field. I mean, very, very funny, but terrifying. Maybe more of a rush, uh, edge rusher than a quarterback. But ultimately, I'm going to go with James Earl Jones if he could do it as Darth Vader himself. You know, you see any pressures coming on, you take your off hand, put your hands out, your fingers like that, and he chokes them. That's what Darth Vader would do, right, Tate? He would choke his opponent, his, uh, the enemy, who he deemed the enemy, and that was that. I really think that would slow down on blitzing yeah, in the I, NFL. He'd have great uh, presence in the huddle as well. I think everyone would be captivated by his voice. It'd be very soothing. Everybody would be into it. I think he'd have great pocket presence, so I think that's a great pick. Um, I don't want to be an NBA NBA hole, as you like to call our boss, Bill Simmons, mm-hmm. here, but I think I'm going to go with Kai Jones of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, he's got the most confidence I've seen of anyone, so <laughs> put him in the pocket and let's see what happens. Uh, Wait, I, what did he do today? He demanded a trade or He something? demanded a trade from the Charlotte Hornets. He's been tweeting that he's the GOAT. He's been tweeting that he would beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. So um, mm. I like the confidence. So I know he doesn't play the same sport, but he's 6'11", Sal. Nobody's going to be able to. He's like Brock Osweiler, right? You just use your height right. for good, and uh, maybe he makes a big throw. So there you go. Um, the Riverboat captain says that those are good picks for us. James Earl Jones for Sal. I'll take Kai Jones, and uh, nobody's taking Mac Jones. So that's probably the big gotcha. news there, he, even though he is the favorite. <laughs> All right, let's have some fun. Let's look ahead to week six, and we're going to start with the Denver Broncos going to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. A little bit of a scary incident with Travis Kelsey. He came back in the second half and did not practice today, but we'll see what his health looks like. Regardless of all that, the Chiefs are favored by 10.5 points in this game. Who do you like here, Sal? Yeah, well, I guess this line Sunday night, I thought it'd be 14.5 for sure, right? right? I mean, I guess Kelsey is the big question mark. He could be worth a point and a half to this number, and he's banged up. He came back, like you said, obviously in the game on Sunday. But um, you might want to rest them on a game where that you can obviously win without them and on three days rest. So that's why maybe the line is like that. But on the other hand, look at this. Denver couldn't hold off the Jets. They couldn't hold off the Bears. The two weeks before that, they gave up 70 to the Dolphins. If everything's clicking for Kansas City, they should score around 50. All right. So if that's the case. That's way too low. I'm leaning KC. Yeah, I like KC here as well. But is there any hope that maybe Denver gets things on the rails here with, you know, Sean Payton, Russell Wilson? They kind of had that little scuffle there at the end of the game after the fumble. Is there any hope mm-hmm. that maybe beating the Super Bowl champs could could get things back on the right track? Yeah, yeah, I think so. The Super Bowl champ, you're not talking about like a Russell Wilson Super Bowl champ, the Chiefs, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking yeah. about the Chiefs. Yeah, maybe maybe they can have some hope. I'm trying to be, uh, you know, nice to the Broncos there, but it doesn't That's look right. good so far. Uh, next game we got, Sal, we got the Ravens going to London to take on the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are undefeated at home. They are technically the home team this week in London. Um, they are getting three and a half points here. Do you like the Titans in London? It's very, I do. It's very difficult figuring out these London games with all the travel and who the intangibles affect, just like it is difficult figuring out the Thursday games. I think the NFL is just trying to make you um, difficult to figure out every single game on the slate. That is the goal (laughs) right there. But I like the Titans in this spot. I'd like them a little better if Baltimore had prevailed last week. You might catch them sleeping, but an ugly loss to Pittsburgh. But I think three and a half is too rich. That's my early lane uh, Titans technically at home in London. Yeah, and like you said, the the Titans can keep up their home streak even though it is in London, so we'll see what happens there. Next game, we got the Seattle Seahawks traveling to Cincinnati. Cincinnati is is uh, favored in this game by two and a half points. They looked great last week. A lot of optimism around Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Do you like the Bengals to cover at home? 
Man, this is tough. I think this is four weeks in a row, Tate. They've offered us the Bengals giving either two and a half or three points. And they're like, screw it. You lose your own money. You figure it out. <laughs> and I'm sure I will lose. So Seattle was off last week. This is a nice spot for them coming in on the road. I think they play tough football. I would, a early lean would be Seattle, especially if I can get this to three. Yeah, next game, we got the Philadelphia Eagles going to New York to take on the Jets. The Jets have seemingly found some new life. Zach Wilson looked better in the second half and has just looked better in general. The defense looks great. Um, You know, they got a running game. Do you think that the Eagles, the undefeated Eagles, will struggle going up to New York and MetLife going against this Jets team? I keep thinking they're going to let down, right? I thought maybe against, you know, against Washington, they almost did, actually. That was a stupid Ron Rivera call. Sorry, Tate, but um, don't send that game to overtime, and maybe the Eagles have a loss all of a sudden. But I am uh, sick of betting them. I bet against them versus the Rams when they came to SoFi. They had all the fans there, albeit. And now they're going to New York, and I think Zach Wilson, we're going to see the um, lower-end version of Zach Wilson against this defense. I think this is a teaser game if you like the Eagles. Not loving the idea of giving six and a half points. Absolutely. And uh, that Eagles defensive front, they they kind of tee off on anybody. So Zach Wilson, uh, thoughts and prayers to you for that game. Uh, last game in week six that we're going to look at, Sal, we got the San Francisco 49ers, the darling of the NFL, going to Cleveland to take on the Browns. There's conversations about if Deshaun Watson will play or not. Cleveland's getting four and a half points in this game. Who do you like here? Well, I, he has to play. I mean, I only like Cleveland plus the four and a half if he plays. It's supposed to be wet. It's supposed to be muddy there. As much as we praised San Francisco a couple of minutes ago, this could be a letdown spot for them for sure. Big primetime win against the Cowboys. What do they care about going to Cleveland, winning on the road? And against this very, very good defense, could be an ugly 13-10 type game. I would take the points. I think this is either a stay away or take the underdog. Yeah, this seems like the classic stay away game and Deshaun Watts and all that being up in the air. He didn't practice, but there's an expectation that he functionally will be able to play is what they're saying. That's what Kevin Stefanski said. I don't really know what that means, Sal, but it does sound like he's leaning towards playing this weekend. Um, Last thing before we get to Danny Kelly, we're going to talk about some fantasy football. I want to ask you, Sal, who's your fantasy MVP so far? Or, you know, who's your least valuable player this season? You can start with your MVP and then we can talk about the least valuable. I don't even think I have an MVP, honestly. My teams are so bad. Luckily, I have seven of them. So maybe one of them can make a a charge at the end. But uh, you name it, uh, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, at least those guys have excuses. Dak Prescott, uh, before last week, it was Joe Burrow. I actually think Nick Chubb is contributing more to my team right now than Dak Prescott is. So, yeah, ask Danny for help for me specifically. Yeah, I think we all need help in fantasy football, and dealing with injuries is his own other side story. Uh, Again, Cousin Sal, thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate you doing this every single week. We can see you on Friday mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern, Cousin Sal's winning weekend, and on Sunday with the Ringer Wise guys. Appreciate you coming on the show, Sal. See you, buddy. See you Christmas Day. (laughs) Perfect. now from the ringer fantasy football show you know him you love him he's danny kelly danny how's it going man 
Uh, it's going excellent. How are you doing? I'm not doing so great. My fantasy football teams are struggling right now, Danny. So I'm bringing <laughs> you on to uh, to help us sift through all this. And uh, the first thing sure. I wanted to, to ask you, you guys did this amazing breakdown of all the fantasy football players. Um, you got me primed and prepped for the season. But you can never prepare for injuries. You can yeah. never prepare for certain players not getting looks like uh, you expect them to. Jamar Chase comes to mind, right? He says he's open. Yep. He finally got the football this past weekend. So I want to start here. Who's kind of the most surprising fantasy MVP so far this season for you? Yeah, I would say the biggest one is Puka Nakua for the Rams, who came right. out of literal nowhere. I mean, he's a fifth-round pick. You know, I think there wasn't a lot of hype for him coming into the season. Obviously, Cooper Cup getting hurt was a big part of that. But, man, he has just been so incredible. Uh, you know, outplayed anyone's expectations, probably even the Rams' expectations. So he's been a crucial fill-in for people that lost Cup or people that were just lucky enough to pick him up after week one. Yeah, and uh, Puka Nakua has been talked about ad nauseum on this show. We're a Puka, uh, you know, presented TV <laughs> show. Puka Hive. Yeah, we, we love it. Um, and he got a touchdown this weekend with Cooper Cup coming back. Rams didn't yep. play so great, but Puka Nakua still put up numbers. So he's definitely been a surprise, to say the least. Let's talk about the disappointing players so far this season. Who is probably the yeah. biggest disappointment so far in fantasy football? I mean, you mentioned him, uh, Jamar Chase. I think it's a, it's a it's a factor from Joe Burrow being hurt, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, he missed most of training camp. He re-injured his, his calf, and he's just not been able to move around, obviously. We saw him this last week finally come alive, thank God. And maybe that's going to, you know, continue on. But I think, you know, the the Bengals offense in general has just been really disappointing. The other guy I would mention here is Ramondre Stevenson, who I thought was going to be like a top 10, top five, potentially running back this year. And he's just been really bad. The Patriots offense has been terrible. And he's honestly, Ramondre Stevenson just hasn't looked like himself. So I don't know what's going on there, but he's been uh, really disappointing for for me personally. Yeah, and I think for our boss personally, he's probably very upset about uh, Stevenson's <laughs> he's production. Probably more, but that's yeah, yeah that's a, that's a whole different conversation. And shout out to producer Kyle as well. All the Patriots fans out there, I, our thoughts and prayers are with them um, as they try to to figure out what it feels like to lose, like the rest of the NFL has been doing for quite some time. Um, talking about disappointments, how disappointing is it to deal with injuries as a fantasy owner? And you know, as someone that has Austin Eckler took him with the third yeah. pick in my fantasy draft. You know, there, there's been the optimism that he will play, and then all of a sudden he gets scratched before the game. They had a bye week this past week. But with, with players like him and even Nick Chubb, uh, who gets injured early, yeah. Aaron Rodgers, who gets injured early, how do you kind of accept that reality and move on and push on without getting mad at the world like I am right now? I mean, adopt nihilism, maybe. I think <laughs> right. it's like probably the easiest way to do it. it it's, it's always funny because every year you come in and you're like, oh, my roster looks amazing. I can't wait to get like set this roster for Sundays and just dominate the competition. And then, you know, it, sh it slowly just crumbles into dust as guys get hurt. You start seeing those injury designations just on, on whatever platform you're on. And it just starts to sink in that, Hey, this is a really tough sport and guys get hurt throughout the season. So um, obviously, you know, part of the game is picking up guys on waivers and, and working the waiver wire, working trades. And, and we've seen this year, like there's been a lot of guys that you can get really late or on the waiver wire that will come in and you know really help you zach moss for the colts being one mm -hmm. big example he's been awesome um so that's part of the game but it is it is you know depressing every year when guys start getting hurt and you know we saw a lot of it this last week justin jefferson might be out for a while there's a couple other guys that are 
um, potentially hurt and injured for a while. Devon A-Chain, who's been a, a revelation, now it comes out that he's got a knee injury. So that's really depressing. But um, but yeah, it's just part of the game. You just got to accept it and move on. Yeah, injuries are a part of the game. But uh, in fantasy football, we, we seem to talk about them a whole lot more. How do you, as someone that is obviously talking about it on the Ringer Fantasy Football Show and trying to keep up with it, how do you keep up with all the injuries and the updates? And, <laughs> and do you now feel like you're almost a, a doctor at this point because you can you can hear an injury and know that they're out four to six weeks or two weeks or whatever it may yeah. be? It's it's funny too because there's you know doctors on Twitter like guys with legitimate medical backgrounds who are describing these injuries and I'm starting to pick up on some of the terms like mechanism injury mechanism mm. like what how is the way that his knee bent what kind of injury is that usually going to mean and you start to sort of memorize the potential time that these guys are going to be out and all that stuff so yeah it's you, you become like a doctor by osmosis a little bit obviously you're picking up things here and there um, even though I have absolutely no medical. Um, you know, background. So uh, it is something that you kind of just over the years, you start to kind of pick up like, oh, this guy's probably going to miss a couple of weeks because he has a sprained MCL or whatever. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's all part of the game. It's, it's a bummer, but it is part of like, you know, finding guys on the waiver wire and all that stuff. Yeah. I feel like the more you keep doing the show, Danny, you might have to put a doctor in front of your name, Dr. Danny <laughs> Kelly, and then you can break down all yeah. these fantasy football injuries for us. That would be great. Um, let's talk trends because this is always a conversation when it comes to fantasy football. What is hot right now? What are people leaning into? What's kind yeah. of the, the number one trend in fantasy football right now? What's everybody talking about? Well, there's a couple that come to mind, especially for this year. Zero RB is a thing that mm -hmm. people talk about. And that's basically where you load up on every position except for a running back early in your draft because you recognize the fact that there is a lot of injury attrition at the running back spot. It's a very physical position. We've seen Chubb, Saquon, Eckler, you know, um, a couple other guys have been very disappointing. Some of these high, highly drafted, highly ranked guys have been disappointing. And then on the other hand, you got guys like I mentioned, Devon A. Chain, Raheem Mostert. Those guys are two and three right now mm. in the running back ranks. You got Kyron Williams from the Rams who came out of absolutely nowhere. Um, and so the idea is stock up on elite receivers, elite tight ends, elite quarterbacks, and then grab, you know, backup running backs or, or guys that are just falling for whatever reason. And, and a lot of the times you can kind of just, you know, work your way through the, the waiver wire and all that and, and fill the running back position while you have all these other studs at the other positions. So that's one big thing that's kind of been, I think, a theme this year. And the other one that I got to mention is late round quarterback, which mm. for the longest time, grabbing a late round quarterback was the way to go because just the opportunity cost of grabbing a quarterback early in your draft is, is much too great. Now, you know, the running quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, a lot of these guys are going so early, you have to really start to reach for them and take them higher and higher in drafts. And so um, the quote unquote late round quarterback theme sort of died this year. But then at the same time, now we're seeing guys like Jordan Love, you know, Kirk Cousins, Brock Purdy, uh, Tua, Goff, some of these late round quarterbacks are actually paying off this year. And so, you know, the late round quarterback, uh, you know, strategy is actually kind of coming back this year. Yeah, it's it was a myth and now it's reality a little bit. I want to talk <laughs> about uh, Joe Burrow because there was a lot of people that were upset, tiffed because they may have taken him earlier than most people, you know, suspected yep. they would. Joe Burrow did not play great, but last week he showed, you know, signs of uh, the Joe Burrow that we all know. How do we kind of handicap him moving forward in fantasy football? Do we think Joe Burrow is back? I mean, I think so. The way that he played this last week against Cardinals, it, he it really looked he looked like himself, which is like the biggest thing. He was moving around. He even scrambled a couple of times early in the season. He just could not move. He mm -hmm. just could not get you know out of the pocket. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't even move in the pocket. He was basically you know dropping back. He was almost all shotgun. 
and then he would immediately get rid of the football. He had the the shortest time to throw of any quarterback in the NFL. So he's just dropping, or he's not even dropping back. He's just receiving the snap and getting rid of the football. And so it's very it hard very to play. Derek Carr of him, right? It looked like we were watching <laughs> Derek Carr. Yeah, it's all dink and dunk. Like his, uh, you know, average depth of target for his passes was really low. It just wasn't Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow that we know is like a gunslinger. He's going to push it down the field. You know, he's going to put a lot of loft under the football and let Jamar Chase or T Higgins run under it and, and you know, do their thing. We saw a little bit more of that this this last game. And assuming he can stay healthy, I do think he's back. I think this is the, the version of Joe Burrow we expect. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Danny about his beloved Seattle Seahawks. Through the ringer, I'm here with Danny Kelly. And Danny, I have to ask you about this Seahawks team. Last year, they were the darlings of the oh. NFL. Everybody fell in love with Geno Smith and his story. This year, they're three and one about to travel to Cincinnati. Um, what What is your take just generally on the Seahawks team? Are you having fun? Because it looks like the Seahawks are having fun again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say the vibes are great with this team. That's kind of it's it's that's the theme, I think, for the Seahawks this year. It's like great vibes. Everybody's having fun. You know, you know, Pete Carroll, he's having a blast on the sidelines. Um, you know, their rookie Devin Witherspoon has been really exciting and like flying around the field and hitting guys and all that, you know, obviously with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, they've got a good offense, Kenneth Walker. So yeah, just generally speaking, the vibes are really good outside of one really terrible half against the Rams. Um, things have been going well. Yeah. And Pete Carroll, we live in the world now where everyone's looking for the next Sean McVay. Everyone wants to find the boy genius, <laughs> right? They want to find their yeah. Doogie Howser. But now we have Pete Carroll, who was kind of the original cool coach that everyone kind of fell in love with. What is it like to see him be the old guard, but aging more gracefully than someone like Bill Belichick or even Sean Payton, his other contemporary coaches? Yeah, I mean, Pete, he's young at heart, right? He, <laughs> always he's always <laughs> made a, yeah, he's making a big focus, I think. And this has been a big part of his program going even back to USC. It's like connecting with his players. He has a big thing called learn your learners where, you know, you go in and you try and figure out how his players learn, what they're best at, the ways that teach them. And, um, you know, he, he, I think, views himself as a teacher more than a coach. And so, um, you know, he has a special way of connecting with these players. And obviously they're 40 years younger than him, 50 years. I don't know how old is he. Is he 70? 50 years younger than him right. at times. And so obviously that's a huge, huge multi-generational divide. But I think he does a good job of, you know, just being genuine. And I know that this sounds kind of corny and hokey or whatever, but it's been a big part of his program for, for years. And I think him having players feel that they, that he cares about them. It goes a long way. I mean, that's like complete contrast to guys like, you know, Bill Belichick, I think it's like very militaristic sort of like chain of command. And, um, you know, I don't know about, I think Pete Carroll takes a very different view of it. It's like a West coast thing. Yeah. And Pete Carroll's always been super cool, super chill. Everybody loves him, but he does have a get back coach, which basically tries to keep him from running all <laughs> over the field. Um, right. how, what, what's the timeline for Pete Carroll? You know what I mean? A lot of people have tried to, you know, a couple of years ago were saying, you know, what do the Seahawks do? What does the future look like? It looked a little bit more murky, but now it just right, feels like right. Pete almost kind of is like a second wind almost. Yeah, it's like a new life cycle, mm -hmm. a new life cycle of the team. I think, I, you know, NFL franchises and teams go through these life cycles where, you know, obviously the Russell Wilson era was awesome and it was great and it brought the CX a lot of success, but that sort of era ended. 
And, you know, Pete Carroll, sorry, Russell Wilson tried to get Pete Carroll fired, essentially. This, this is according to the reports. And, you know, Pete Carroll and John Schneider won that that power struggle or whatever. And now, like I said, the vibes are great. Geno Smith, they found Geno Smith. And he is, um, you know, showing that he's good enough to kind of lead this team to the playoffs. And I think, you know, they've got a lot of young, exciting players. They've got this new energy. And they're trying to – I think they're very much trying to differentiate themselves from the Legion of Boom teams. You know what I mean? Like, those teams are – it's almost all those players are gone. Like Bobby Wagner is the only guy left from those years. And so, um, you know, the, it's this new era in Seattle. It's kind of a whole new team other than Pete Carroll. So it's, it's really exciting to watch. Yeah. And Bobby Wagner's playing like he found a second win. I mean, I, I went to the yeah. Panthers game up in Seattle. He had 18 sack or 18 tackles and two sacks. Yeah. So, I mean, he was playing yeah. like a madman. Shout out to Bobby Wagner. You mentioned Russell Wilson. I have to get a temperature check because I know that Seahawks yeah, yeah. fans, um, they were very happy to see him leave Seattle despite being a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Um, are you guys all just kind of laughing to yourselves? Like, what what is the uh, what are Seattle Seahawks people doing <laughs> as they watch the Broncos kind of flounder? Um, I think I think last year Seahawks fans were rooting against him, and that was in large part because the, the Broncos gave the Seahawks their first round pick. And so the worse the Broncos did, the better the Seahawks were going to do in the draft this year, that's kind of over. And so I think people are more open to, you know, having, hopefully hoping that Wilson will have more success. And I think he's been a lot better, honestly, than he was last year. Last year was just an abject disaster from basically every angle. And, you know, obviously the, the Broncos aren't good this year with Sean Payton, but the D, the offense has been quite a bit better than, than it has been. And uh, you know, last year, certainly. And so I think, you know, he's kind of, he's been, not nearly the same Russell Wilson that we saw in his prime, but I think there's still definitely elements there that, you know, if you look at his raw statistics, he's like actually playing really well. He's on track to have a, an incredible statistical season. Um, but sometimes, you know, the stats don't always match the eye test. And I think, you know, this, the, the Broncos are sort of in the middle now. Like uh, their defense is really, really bad. And I think the defense honestly has been the reason that they're playing so poorly, not Russell Wilson. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm happy to see him succeed. Yeah. And you wrote a great piece about Russell Wilson that I enjoyed it. And the headline was Russell Wilson is almost his same old self, um, which, you know, <laughs> it just feels different now. It's kind of like the whole idea behind it. Why does it feel different? Does it feel like we maybe, you know, we went behind and saw the wizard wasn't a wizard, right? We once we went behind, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that, is that like what that. it is? Yeah, I like that analogy. I think, you know, and, it's, and honestly, it's because the magic isn't quite there that it used to be. And, and I think, you know, when you change teams and you change and you don't take that like institutional memory, the history that comes along with being on that team, like Russell Wilson built up a lot of goodwill over the years because he made so many incredible, you know, heroic, magical plays. And you don't really get to take that to your new team. And so I think obviously Broncos fans have a less patience with him than, than the Seahawks fans might. And you know, the other thing is he's just getting older. He can't do the Houdini things out of the pocket that he used to do when he was younger. He would be able to escape three or four guys, you know, keep a play alive for like 10 seconds and then find a guy in the end zone. He just cannot do that anymore. So that's really the big difference of Russell Wilson in his prime and Russell Wilson now. I think Russell Wilson now is still a guy who can pass deep. He can still make plays a little bit out of structure, but he does not have, you know, the Houdini magic that he, er he did earlier in his career. And that's just because he's not as fast as he used to be. He's just not as spry. And that happens when you get older. Yeah. And he had that Hail Mary play. I mean, that was still, right. that, it was like exactly. shades of, like you said, the Russell Wilson Houdini that we've all known and, and watched for years on end, but it didn't lead yeah. to a win in the end. And I think that's kind of, you know, been the difference. And then they don't have yep. all these other plays to fall back on and say, okay, that's the Russell Wilson that we know. Uh, one last yeah. thing, Danny Kelly, I want to ask you about Devin Witherspoon. He's second right now in odds to win defensive rookie of the year. Do we like that? Do we like Witherspoon to be the guy? Because he looks the part so far this season. 
I mean, he's been everything that I thought he would be, honestly. Like, he's been exactly as advertised. He flies around. He comes into the backfield and blows up plays. He's just, you know, he seems to be one step ahead of of the offense at all times. He kind of has this really innate um, ability to, like, you know, sneak through the offensive line and, and got, tackle a guy in the backfield or, you know, beat a guy in a route to his to his spot. And um, that's really showed up so far. And he's he's also just bringing sort of, again, the – the swagger that the Seahawks defense has really missed over the last few years is they just don't have an intimidating player. They don't have a guy that's going to get the whole team going, you know, get everybody amped up. Um, you know, that's like the the story of the Legion of boom was they had a bunch of those guys and they just haven't had anyone since. And I think Witherspoon is sort of being that new guy for them. He's the guy that everybody's rallying around. He is playing really, really hard, hitting hard and, um, I think that's an ingredient the Seahawks have really missed, and that's a big reason they liked him so much. Yeah, and then they got Jake Bobo on the other side, right? And he's uh, <laughs> more everybody, Bobo. Everybody loves him, so there you go. Uh, Danny Kelly, I uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Where can we find all your amazing work here at The Ringer? Uh, obviously, check out TheRinger.com. You can find me on The Ringer Fantasy Football Show four times a week, and yeah. There you have it. Thanks to Cousin Sal. Thanks to Danny Kelly for coming on the show tonight. whole lot of fun as always. And again, we will be back on Friday with another edition of Through the Ringer, and we'll see you then.